You're listening to The Bookworm, and I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Oh, producer Al. Um, the rest of the team are away on exciting adventures. Sai is in Finland. Norway. 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 It involves polar bears, anyway. Um. Uh, I think he's looking for some sort of, of, of kind of rift. He's got a compass. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on the details. Ninfa is in an alternate reality Victorian period. I think it's maybe the 19th century of she is right now. I, I never keep track. Mm-hmm. Um, Dell is rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Russ is away on an exciting adventure to a new city. Oh. So it's just myself and the producer. The producer makes you sound like a time war. Excellent. Uh, pass, pass me a fob watch. <laughs> So, on today's show, we will be talking about... <gasps> fan fiction! Fan fiction! Indeed. Expect me to get ranty. Indeed, we're going to uh, delve into the world of fan fiction. Uh, we'll probably do this again at some point, but we thought we'd make an initial point into the, the world's fan, fan fiction. We also have um, a wonderful interview coming up later as well. But, coming up next, the book news. FabRadioInternational.com I accidentally put myself in the air with a canoe. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and Starburst Magazine's The Bookworm Podcast. Yes, you can indeed find our podcast and the details of our podcast on Starburst Magazine. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr under Radio Bookworm. You, you could also probably find us in any other esoteric means as well. Set your scrying devices in our general dire- direction and you will indeed find us. Shall I get on with the book news? Yes. I was going to start off with the DSC South Asian Literature Prize because they asked us very nicely to talk about it, so we will. Um, to be honest, it's well, most of the stuff that's currently on here isn't really our sort of thing. We're mostly a genre book show. Um, but yes, the, the, the South Asian Literature Prize um, awards a prize of $50,000 for the best Ooh. work in fiction to one author from any ethnicity or nationality providing they write about South Asia and its people. It's not bad, is it? That's not bad at all. This year's shortlist was judged by an international five-member panel, including Sir Mark Tully. Uh, ooh, who else? Oh, yeah, he's a, he's the former bureau chief of BBC in New Delhi, so you know, he knows what he's talking about. Um, and a whole load of other relevant and very interesting people. Um, who else? So, books included Family Life, by, uh, which is produced by Fibber and Faber, Named as Grant's best young American novels in 2007. Ah, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any timing on this. Ah, no, she was named as one of the young, young American no- novelists. Okay, Family Life is a new book. I see. Okay, Sleeping on, Ju- uh, Sleeping on Jupiter by Anuruddha Roy. Uh, when, uh, Have we done the thing where we try and get you to pronounce words you you can't say again? You know, like book. Yes. Okay. Um, so yes, there's a whole bunch of interesting things on here. Uh, it sounds like a great prize to us and very interesting. I didn't even know it existed until this week. So there we go. Mm. See, so press releases work. Press releases do work. Please send us your press releases to the usual addresses. You can find me, I'm Ed Fortune. I'm very easy to find on the interwebs. Okay, uh, what else are we talking about? 
Apparently, the, the producer is yelling at me to get close to the microphone, so I'm now about to make love to it. Hello. Ah, you didn't need to hear because that. Because it's listener. radio and being able to hear you is important. You didn't need to hear that, listener. You didn't need to hear me get that close to the microphone. That anyway, news. Uh, the prominent UK based convention organisers have announced their intention to bring the World Science Fiction Convention, better known as Worldcon, to the UK. Now, those of you who are sitting there thinking, but Ed, it's Worldcon. Surely the Worldcon belongs to the world, and the fact that it's coming to the UK shouldn't. The world. Surely it's coming to the UK. Surely that shouldn't be unusual. I mean, it's Worldcon. Surely they have a different Worldcon in a different part of the world every year. Well, they no, should. No, no. Unfortunately, because science fiction is dominated by an American audience, especially English, you know, English science fiction, especially is dominated by its American audience and has been since its foundation. Um, we have. Mostly, mostly it's a two of the state and occasionally other parts of the world. It's getting better. There are reasons for this. Those reasons tend to be that there is a, a rare confluence between being a massive science fiction fan and being able to organise a huge event for thousands of people requires a rare set of skills and you have to kind of get a perfect storm of all those people who can who, who can produce at that level, if you see what mm, I mean. Mm. So you need to be a massive science fiction fan and also have the sort of resources and skill to give away your time to produce what's essentially a national event. So Yeah, it, and these things are not... There's a heck of a lot going on at these things. It's it's not an easy job to do. Because it's because it's peer-to-peer standards. So the, the way it works is that previous convention organisers will be attending your event and they get to vote. Anyone who turns up to a Worldcon gets to vote on... Um, where the event will happen in two years' time. So there'll be lots of different bids from various places, but the, during the discussion that goes on during these events, and people talk to each other all the time, especially over the internet, people tend to listen to former convention organisers more so. So if a former convention organiser turns around and says, oh, I don't like the way that they've sorted out the liaison of the hotels for this, or I don't like these details, or I don't like th- that those details, they'll talk. Now this is good because it generates a, a culture of feedback, and it means that you can easily... you can easily get lots of good feedback and level up quickly mm-hmm. the drawback is, is that's a lot of work mm-hmm. and also I, I i don't know but i'm guessing that it could be very easy to develop cliques very very much so i mean it's a it is one massive clique within a clique, within a clique. <laughs> but that's that's kind of you know literature all over mm-hmm. you know you, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't well it's it uh, it's people isn't it people form groups and cliques and tribes so, so you know it's, it, I think tribe is a kind of word than clique because clique implies a sort of elitist thing going on and they are quite a welcoming bunch yes and if you turn up if you turn up to a convention organiser say Cunicon which is happening in Manchester next year if you turn up to those guys and say hi I want to volunteer I want to be involved they'll be like yes okay what can you do and you know you will start your journey among the world of fandom anyway the uh, team is kind of exciting because uh, we've got James Bacon who's responsible for the Dublin bid and who's also responsible for in part for um, has the Dublin bid. won yet? I'll get to that in a moment okay sorry um, oh sorry uh, Emma England, who is, uh, a, a, she she hates being described as a secret master of fandom, so we'll not call her a smoff, but she totally is. Uh, Esther McCallum-Stewart, who is brilliant, also brilliant, brilliant choice, uh, brilliant person to volunteer, and Vanessa May, all really, really, really skilled people who know their stuff. So they're trying to get a Worldcon happening in 2024. That's ages away. The way it works is this. It's two years ahead. So Dublin doesn't have it in the pan yet. Okay, when has there been a Dublin bid involved, remind me? 
2019. Okay. Which uh, in at Helsinki mm-hmm. in 2017. You'll be able to vote for 2019. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to to, to vote. Is this is this why you're proposing a, a radio bookworm field trip to Helsinki? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I look forward to our live podcast from Finland. Ah, Finland, Finland, Finland. The place for me. Uh, the book pipeline competition, uh, searching for authors with material suited for film and television. Uh, the winning writer receives a circulation to Lakeshore Entertainment, who are responsible for Million Dollar Baby, uh, Energy Entertainment, who are responsible for Extant, um, and Bender Spink, who did Good history- name. A great name. Uh, history of Violence, Darko Entertainment, who did Prime Prejudice and Zombies, and so on. Uh, so the book pipeline competition, you've got until December the 1st. So, so hurry, Tuesday. Hurry. Tuesday. So pretty much you've got to have something ready for this, to be honest. Hurry, if you've not got something ready, it's not happening for you right now, unless you want to go through 48 hours of sleep deprivation, at which point you could produce something, to be fair. Okay, so possible. Let's, let's do that then. <laughs> hurry, hurry, scum, scurry. <laughs> Get on with it and make it happen. Um... Michael Faber has won the 2015 Salter Book of the Year Award for the Book of Strange, the Book of Strange New Things. Uh, Strange New Things imagines a not so distant future where a global corporation is able to colonize a planet in a neighboring galaxy. Its protagonist, Peter, is a Christian pastor sent to carry out missionary work amongst the native aliens on the planet. Yeah, that's going to end well. Uh, oh no, wait. Oh no, wait. So that's the Salter Society Literature Award, um, which you know. <laughs> To be honest, Scotland has such a rich creative scene. I mean, if you're looking, oh for yeah, the, ridiculous. If you're looking for where the where the future of British creativity is coming from and the future of British comic books and all the rest of it, we are talking Scotland. I mean, we were at the Sick Bar Awards for um, at Glasgow Comic Con earlier this year, which we talked yes, about. Yes, we've talked about yeah, and. The, the the scene in Scotland. It's almost like Scotland's still funding the arts and thus reaping the benefits. We from... we could have an interesting conversation, couldn't we, about um how Scotland's priorities in certain respects are different um as a result of devolution and how they're just quietly getting on with certain stuff up there. Um but yeah, definitely fostering small industries. Um if you move away from arts and culture for a second, Brewdog Beer, who are, you know, the punk IPA brewer people who you may have seen in your local craft brewery be a seller, retailer thing, are based in Scotland, uh, partially because there's no business rates. That's our whole thing, isn't it? If, you, if you're trying to make money and trying to get yourself out of debt, you need to invest into smaller things to make more money, and you start off small and build up. And they're, they're quietly getting on with the um, renewable energy thing as well. Yeah. You don't cut your check. You, you, you don't cut your checkbook and stop doing the things that might actually make you more money in the long term. That's a, that's a fool's gambit. Mm. But that's heading towards politics, so we'll avoid that. It's, it's, it, when you start looking at Scotland, the stuff that's going on up there, like the uh, the Orkney and Shetland Islands, should really, if you thought about it without knowing what was going on there, you'd imagine that there was very um, low employment. In fact, the unemployment rate is several percentage points below the UK national average because virtually everybody works in some way in the oil and gas industry. Um, uh, and the GDP produced by Orkney and Shetland Islands is, is more than some small countries just from oil and gas. But bringing, bringing it back to books. Yeah, sorry. Books. Bringing it back, books. back to books. The whole, the whole thing with Scotland is that they've kind of quickly realised that the very definition of a model of a single independent businessman generating the profit for themselves is the, is a writer mm. or a graphic designer. J.K. Rowling, Cathy in Edinburgh. One person sitting at the... It, make, write, writing stuff to contract generating profit for themselves that's your basic capitalist model and anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you a line 
bookshop. Anyway, there's, but, there's but, but but it's it's a nice place to live. You've got family up there, I know, and and you are going up there, um, and it's just a nice place to live. It feels a bit more chilled out and relaxed. It, it's almost like people have a slightly more freedom to actually pursue their own works and skills and talents. But that seriously is getting off. The top. It is books. Very hey, books! So. It's a book show. Let's talk, let's talk about books. Talking talking about civilized things and um, avoiding kind of capitalism and capitalist imperialism. Bookshop launches civilized Saturday as a as an antidote to Black Friday. Was this in fact yesterday, Ed? Is it, this in fact a late piece of news? This is a late piece of news, but, but it sounds I fantastic. I think it's adorable. I absolutely love this. Um, for for those of you who um, know know what Black Friday is, Black Friday is an American promotional thing. It's an um, advertising marketing piece uh, of nonsense. Uh, uh, my understanding is. Um, Americans get ridiculously little annual leave because their employment regulations somehow um, are not as developed as ours are in some respects. Um, but Thanksgiving weekend, everybody gets a long weekend. So Thanksgiving is on thir- the Thursday and then everybody's off like the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but not back into work until Monday. Uh, so a lot of people who have non-retail jobs will go on the Friday and buy all their Christmas presents and things because it's an opportunity of eight straight hours to go shopping. Um, when other, you know, when you've still got like another month to go before Christmas and, and you need to buy stuff. And it's called Black Friday. Um, uh, either because everybody turns up and it all gets a bit angry and shouty or because it was the point in the year at which retailers went into the black because retailers for much of the year were working at a loss situation and the, the sales they made the day after Thanksgiving would put them into the black financially. But it's not sure. Across, you can believe which one of those you want. Transferred over the over to the UK because of money. Uh, transferred over to the UK largely because of Walmart, who own ASDA, uh, both popular supermarket chains in their respective countries. And other people want to make profit out of this. And other so people want to make profit out of this. But, but intriguingly, ASDA this year have gone, yeah, you know what? That publicity last year where people were trying to basically kill each other in our Wembley branch for the sake of a TV, that looks kind of bad. We're not going to encourage that anymore. So uh, people are dropping out of it now. Um, uh, so I've seen I've seen a bunch of responses to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is buy nothing day. Yes. Another, another, Which I can get behind. Uh, another is uh, raise everything for charity day. Mm. Uh, I've seen various businesses do the thing where they give, they've given away a free Christmas holiday to their staff. Wow. Where they basically just said go home. Um, but if we, I think what I've seen in few, a few businesses, and it's a small thing, but it's been growing, is um, sack, off, sack off the day if we raise this much for our charity. Ooh. So we get this much PR out of this, then you can go home. And that's that's wonderful. I think they should do that for retail as well. But anyway, we've gone again. We've gone off the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, Civilized Saturday is a bookshop's response. So you come in, and they will give you free take tea, free cake, possibly hand massages. Oh, um, I'd, I'd go for foot massage. Yeah, Kibworth. Uh, on Saturday, we were handing out hand massages in a f- green velvet armchair. Oh. Crick Hell's local bookstore, there was a butler on the door serving Prosecco. <gasps> um, Civilised Saturday is apparently the perfect antidote to cutthroat bargain hunting. Um, it sounds marvellous. Um, it's mostly the chain of independent bookshops mm. um, who have been slowly but surely banding together. The Booksellers Association have pretty much got that got themselves together to create this publicity stunt which is also kind of lovely uh, are the independents not moving towards doing stuff like this anyway to, to get people through the doors it, it, you know what it's it's that we've talked about this before <clears throat> the fact that a lot of independent bookshops are now 
essentially community centres that sell you stuff. Mm. And you can go in and almost every single day, you know, they don't open at nine because who shops at nine o'clock? There's no point. They, they open, well, or they do that thing where they open between 6 a.m. to don't 10. Don't <laughs> 10 a.m. Then they close and then they open again in the evening. And then you can go in, but in the evening there's also, you know, there's someone doing a reading or there's someone doing, you know, someone doing this and that. So you have a reason to go in that isn't buying books, but you go in, you buy yourself a coffee, you buy yourself the book that the guy's talking about because you have to put your reading and they're charming or whatever. Mm. And the shop stays afloat and makes money. And it's a reason to come into the city centre that you can't get off the internet. Yes. Because let's be honest, you can't get, say, the talented Rod team. No. Doing doing a poetry reading in on the internet. Yeah, I suppose you can look them up on YouTube, but it's not the same. No. Um, but anyway. Have we finished the news? Because it is, it is 20 past three, aren't we? We are, we are behind schedule. We are usually behind we schedule. We are usually behind so schedule. Coming, so coming up next, a book review. appropriate music so say you're a fan of harry potter you love the harry potter books and you think they're they they, they you know they, they really kind of you know scratch a certain itch you really like them but say at the same time you happen to be you, your job is to research ai you're a computer scientist you're you're quite skilled you're quite a logical and reasonable person you spend your time on websites like less wrong you are very much a rationalist so you okay know, you, you read books like how to really change your mind and this sort of thing so you love the fantasy genre but you can't help with your analytical mind pick holes because you're and because you're also a creative and intelligent person you sit there and you go do you know what i want to write some fan fiction well i want to write just everyday fan fiction I want to write very clever fan fiction that has, at the same time, loves the books, also has a goal. You get Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Interesting title. It is a very interesting title. And as today's theme is names that Ed can't pronounce properly, hey! apologies, uh, Elisa Yudowski uh, has written an entirely different branching off. So this is AU Harry Potter. It is fanfic. You can get it for free on the internet. If you type in Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, be warned it is quite long. Um, it's, it's you know, um, it's Half-Blood Prince long. Wrong. Wrong? Half-Blood Prince long, I would say. It's quite a long book. So, the premise is this. Harry's, Harry's um, foster, foster parents... Okay. ...were not the Dursleys. Oh. So... Rather, um, Lily's sister uh, married someone else. And there was a plot reason. There's a whole whole conversation. There's a whole actually quite dark reason why 
this went differently, if you see what I mean. Okay. But the short version is is that Lily gives her sister a portion, a very dangerous portion, so to, so she could make her actual dreams come true. So rather than this angry, bitter, screaming person who's quite cruel and, you know, just not a nice person, their the, the, the heart has, has mellowed and become soft. So Harry is raised by an Oxford University professor and his wife um, with a love of books and a love of rationality a love of thinking things through and then someone turns up and goes you're a wizard harry and he goes how does magic work i don't understand <laughs> that, that, that breaks the laws of thermodynamics surely <laughs> what <laughs> okay the whole thing is full of these lovely little ideas there is this fantastic moment where um, Professor Snape does his Professor Snape thing, and Harry goes, oh, I'm not going to stand for this, I'm going to go immediately to a headmaster uh, and lodge a formal complaint, because you are a grown man, I'm an 11-year-old boy, and you are bullying me for some reason. I don't understand why, but you shouldn't be allowed anywhere near children if you talk to them like that. Fair point. Well, well played, Harry. You should absolutely, you know, if someone's, if someone's actually circulating abuse, you should absolutely report it to the authorities. Well done, you. And so on. Uh, let's see. So when he gets onto when he gets onto the train at Hogwarts, Ron introduces himself. How does he get on? How does it? Does pla- no. the platform nine and three quarter thing still happen? Oh no, it's still it's still Hogwarts. It's still magic. You still wiggle your wand and stuff happens. Okay. It's the the magical magical Britain is still magical Britain. Okay. So the magical world of Harry Potter is there. It's the thing that's different is Harry. Okay. Ah, okay. So so rather than being this boy who's been locked in a room with only himself, who as soon as he's exposed to this world of wonder embraces it because the real world or the mundane world is so bad that he just runs off and, you know, throws himself into adventure. This version of Harry's had quite a nice life so far. You know, he's okay. he's he's been indulged, he's had parents who've sat him down and gone Okay, you know, uh, what are you thinking, Harry? Clearly, this boy is very talented because uh, he's Harry Potter, you know. So his 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 parents, okay, they're his foster parents because his real parents died in mysterious circumstances. But his parents have raised him to be essentially a rationalist. And as soon as he enters the world of of Harry Potter, you know, the the world of Hogwarts and all the rest of it, he starts questioning, and he doesn't stop questioning. So Ron runs up to him and goes, "Hi," and he goes, "You're clearly an idiot." <laughs> Harsh. So, so Ron and Harry don't become friends. No. Harry and Malfoy oh. have some quite interesting and extended conversations because Malfoy, of course, has been raised to be a plotter and a schemer and to think things through. Uh huh. And there was this wonderful, and this is not a, really a spoiler. There was this wonderful conversation where Harry basically goes, "Do you realise that the Muggles have done this?" And then shows some photos of the moon landing. <laughs> And Malfoy's just like, oh my word, that's amazing. Okay, hang on. This science thing is probably worth investigating. And slowly but surely, Harry, it's not so much that Harry's trying to bring him onto the light side, it's that he exposes the flaws and the thinking of the Slytherin and the fact that Slytherin are basically, you know, a kind of magical version of UKIP rather, oh. rather than plotters and schemers that they're supposed to be. And Harry's like, you guys are supposed to be the guys who think things through. The other guys who are supposed to be, you know, the politicians and the scientists, but you aren't. What went wrong? I know what went wrong. Let's look at mundane history. And they look at mundane history and they look at, you know, Germany in the 40s and that sort of thing. And, and Malfoy's like, oh, there's a serious problem going on with Slytherin. Hmm, we should fix this before it goes horribly wrong, and so on. Hermione, um, Harry is a Ravenclaw in this, not Gryffindor. 
Here's the, here is the scene very early on. Mm. So the sorting hat gets popped on Harry's head. Harry immediately thinks, hang on, you're an intelligence. What do I remember from reading science fiction about inter- interrogating science? Uh, he performs a chewing test on the sorting hat. <laughs> and the sorting hat's like, stop that. No, seriously, stop that. Stop, stop trying to interrogate me like you would a muggle machine. And so on. Um... Ah, oh, there's some there's some lovely lovely bits and pieces in it. There's lots and lots of tributes to science fiction and general rationalist stuff. One of the things I I kind of really enjoyed about this, uh, I was I was reading through it, I suddenly realised that what he does quite what the writer does quite early on is he gets rid of Quidditch. Okay. He did, Quidditch is still going on as I understand it, but he kind of just says Harry's not playing Quidditch. He looks at Quidditch and goes, "This game is broken and has a number of flaws that make it boring." Um, and the defence of the against the dark arts teacher, who renames himself the defence teacher, oh, and is Professor Quirrell, but not one with Voldemort stuck in his head. Spoilers for a book that <laughs> probably read. Um, can we? Can, Harry Potter generally? Are we still saying spoilers? Because you know it's been some time. But anyway, Professor Quirrell, yeah. and this is not like the one in the in the the book that you've read. Not the one in the Philosopher's Stone. Um, sits down and basically we get Ender's Game we get bits of Ender's Game where the where the kids are going on special military manoeuvres practising their magic and doing all so rather than Quidditch matches we get this kind of bits and pieces the thing I really like is the relationship between Harry and Hermione in this where they are competing equals um, and so on I kind of there are also various other bits and pieces and other, other there are reruns and reduxes of stuff from the books that you just sit there and you go Oh right, so that yeah, that's more rational and also crazy and very very silly. Um, that that is not to say that this is a kind of poor faced examination of the Harry Potter universe. It's not the science of Harry Potter. Mm. It is in fact just the the ultimate. ultimate. It's, it's, it's not the intri- interesting Christian one. No, no, it's mm. not nothing like that. It's not it's not a poor faced examination. What it's doing is it's saying you know what if Harry was a rationalist and it keeps it diverges into lectures about rational thought and you know you look at confirmation bias and it's sort of and there is a little the the flaw with it is that the voice of Harry because he does make the point that this version of Harry has you know uh, slightly you know his brain's essentially on fire all the time and the boy is a genius and he's only 11 years old but he talks sometimes like a like an Oxford graduate Mm-hmm. And that's part of the is gag. That, is that the author speaking partially? Yeah. yeah. That's part of the gag, and that's part of the idea behind it. And we get this thing where he uses a time turner. He's allowed to use a time turner fairly early on for for plot reasons. Mm-hmm. So the time turner kind of justifies why this version of Harry is a bit more mature. <sighs> hmm. I really like it. It's really fun. It's long. It's one of those things that I think you need to... It's, it's very long. It's, it's 660,000 words, according to, to fanfiction.net. Which is, you know, approximately pretty much the length... I'm not I'm not entirely sure it's the length of the Harry Potter series, but it's fairly close to. I'm guessing, you know, a, a back, back of a crisp packet kind of yeah, calculation. Probably, it? Yeah, probably, isn't it? In the same, mm. same kind of general area. What I strongly recommend is that you do read this, but you don't read it in one number. Oh, goodness, no. Oh, no. Um, read the, the, the kind of... There's clearly chapters. There's lots of chapters. Dive in, enjoy a bit, give it a rest, go to something, back to something else, like you would with any novel series, um, because also it gets a bit samey at certain points as well. 
Um, but it's well paced, it's well written, I really liked it, and this is all fan fiction, so it's 100% free. Um, as I, und- I have no idea if J.K. Rowling's read it, um, <laughs> but certainly there's not been any objections. Is she not, my understanding is she's relatively okay with the fan fiction as long as you aren't doing smut. Is my understanding. I've always, well, I mean, we'll talk about we'll this talk later. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about this later in the show, but I've always been intrigued with the whole, oh, but no smart, and you're like, mm, really? How are you going to stop them? Well, yeah. I think, I think, uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about that later. So, um, shall we get on to the rest of the show? Let's do that. So, coming up next, we have an interview. So, coming up next, we have an interview with a lovely author. This is Fab Radio International. J.C. Norman, welcome to the bookworm. Okay, thank you for having me. Tell us about your book. Well, my book was, the series itself is called Spheres Divide, and the first book in this series is Pilgrim of Element. The genre itself is sort of like an alternative fantasy, and it's really just a story about a physical and emotional journey set around a cast of different characters, and with two pretty much key plot points, which I hope to link up both of their stories as the plot progresses. And how would you describe it to your gran? Well... It's, first, it starts off with two protagonists, um, both in different locations, a male and a female character. And the male's one is really just about a simple um, journey that he has to make with, car- with a cast of characters that he meets throughout it. His, his story is really about um, understanding himself and learning about who he is and about the world itself, the characters and the creatures and the people that live in this world. So... With him, the the questions that the audience asks, he will ask through the story, how things work and everything like that. The female's um, character, hers is more of a pilgrimage of um, a sacred thing that she would have to do around the world. So hers is a pilgrimage of elements. She is brought up in a school where she must train to learn with the elements of wind, controlling it and such. And each school would have a different element, fire, wind, water, earth, electricity, and so on. Every time that the elementalist would travel to a different location, there would be a stadium of thousands of people watching this sacred battle for her to learn it and then carry on until she's learned them all. And um, that is pretty much the the summary of those two. Obviously, I can go further into the plot of it, but that might take a little longer. Why fantasy? Well, I've always liked the freedom of fantasy because um, obviously with fantasy, because it's a completely fictional world, every element in it is sort of under my control. If I was to write a book in a historical way, I'd have to look up many more things about it. But with science fiction and fantasy, I'm free to come up with my own history, how things work, and even the, um, the dynamics and the physics of how the world works. And it just makes the story a lot more fun to work with, how you can come up with a lot more different things. You're not restricted by reality. Why does the public like fantasy again? 
think it always has embraced in the genre. It might have changed a little differently over the fact that over the past 15 to 20 years, gaming uh, has become such a bigger thing than what it used to be in the 80s and 90s. And again, from that, you've got um, games like Final Fantasy and Skyrim and all these, and Mass Effect and all these big science fiction and fantasy games, which are bringing in a larger audience than what was just then previous with um, films and books. Um, after I finished my next book, well, this series itself, I do hope to write lots of different things. I wouldn't like to be stuck within this certain genre and hope to like to write some other things as well. This series at the minute, Spheres Divide, i am just published the first one, but I'm currently writing the fourth. So I've got the second and third one already set up and ready to go. And once this series is finished, I've got my eye on some other series as well. What's next? I like to think it has because it's a lot more easily and accessible to become published now because of self-published um, companies like that. And now that um, because of the internet, everything is almost um, it's sort of like an ocean of information. It'll be e- even easier to um, write fan fiction, post it up on a pod or something like that. And, you know, everybody can read nowadays. So it's definitely helped a lot. If you could write for any franchise, what would it be? I would probably go with the Final Fantasy one because, again, that's so diverse that if I was to write a Final Fantasy story, I wouldn't have to take any of their particular worlds but make my own one up. Or, again, I've always been a big fan of um, Star Wars, Tolkien's world, and um, George R.R. Martin's, but I think, you know, they're perfect as the way they are. I'd, I'd probably stay away from those. Is genre literature as diverse as it thinks it is? I like to think it is. I mean... With, um, it might not just be the fantasy one, but a lot of gamers, there does seem to be some um, elitism sometimes. But that's the great thing about the diversity of it all, about how you could meet someone who's really into fantasy, and but they like Harry Potter, for instance, where someone else could like like Doctor Who or things like that. And it just, it just means that there's so much difference around with everyone and they can always share their experiences with these things. If you were trapped on a desert island with only one big company, what would it be? It's mm, a very good question. I'd probably go with um, the, the complete works of A Song of Ice and Fire, brackets, when he finishes it, close brackets. Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama. Fire or ice? Fire. Truth or beauty? Truth. GSC Norman, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me here. This is Fab Radio International. International. And that was an interview with the lovely JC Norman. And you should be able to find out more about him by, by essentially, if you Google JC Norman, you can find out more about his fantasy work. And if we're having a very good Sunday, we'll upload some sort of social media. We've got that. That exists. That's a whole thing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, well, if you're listening to the show, you've got the internet. You've got the internet in some way or other, really. So you well, we hope. <laughs> um, alternatively, you're just what you're, you're using some sort of spaceship to tack through time, so you can hear us directly as we speak, or something. Some sort of weird alien. Moving I'm on. going off on a <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been reading way too much Brian Aldous. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're talking about fanfic. We are. Um, so, 
Oh. We had a we had a brief discussion, didn't we, before the show started about where the line between um, something that's derivative of canon and, and fan fiction is, and I think we basically decided that that was kind of difficult and came down to licensing and money very often. Well, one of the things we we one of the conclusions we came to as well is unlike Harry Potter and the method of rationality, where the author has stepped forward. And, you know, you can go on the Goodreads and you can read his bio and read about his artificial mm. intelligence research and, you know, all the rest of the stuff that he's done. Most fanfic authors, not so much keep to the shadows, but, you know, don't have a public author profile and there's a reason for that. So it would be unfair of us to try and pick out lots and lots of different bits of fanfic. Uh, yeah. I mean, when, when we're talking about fanfic... Um, uh, I think people who maybe don't read fanfic are a bit confused about what's going on and what they'll have heard about is is the smut and the slash fic. But there is so much more to it than that. You know, there is everything from 100-word drabbles that will contain, you know, four or five sentences but will pluck at the heartstrings to the 600,000-word epics uh, like Harry Potter and the, and the rationality. Yeah, I think there's also a fundamental com- confusion about the nature of fanfic, where some people seem to think it's a modern thing. Oh, no, no, no. And if you look at the... We were talking earlier about Worldcon. If you look at the, the history of science fiction con- conventions and literature conventions and this sort of thing, for you know pre-internet days, it was all about producing fanzines and these charmingly named fapazines. Fapa meant something else back then. Um, charmingly named fanzines, which were full of what we would call fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Star Trek's a big one with this, isn't it? Yeah, Star yeah. Trek is, is the, 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 the one. That's where the word slash comes from, because it was Kirk, Kirk slash, slash Spock. Mm. And that was, you know, that was where a lot of people wrote their exciting literature. Now, there's an interesting... We talked to George Orwell Martin last year, and we asked the fan fiction question, because we're big mm. fans of fan fiction. Mm. And he was like, oh, well, when I was writing fan fiction, I created original characters. And I was, you know... Essentially, he was riffing off the Marvel Universe. Yeah. everything he'd created, he's created for himself. Now, I would argue that his White Surfer, or whatever it was called, Dark Rider... What sounded suspiciously to me like a mix between the the um, Silver Surfer and the the Dark Skier, whatever he's called, from <laughs> Kirby's. Uh, the, seriously, there's an avatar. There's an avatar of death in the Kirby comics, mm. which Martin Miller definitely read. Who is a skier? He's a skier. He's on skis, but he's also the Grim Reaper. And I think I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding as well that oh you're writing fanfic so you're nicking other people's characters and you're entirely using them. Well, yes and no. You're using the sandbox that exists, but virtually everybody will have some level of original character in there, whether it is you know the waitress that serves the main people their coffee, or the sister of somebody, or the family member that you've never seen in the book or on TV. Um, and what a lot of TV fanfic does is fill in the gaps, especially if you've got a shipping thing going on. There's a, there's a, there's a thing there as well, as a total aside, and we're kind of heading into a different territory. Mm. If you turn around and say, oh, but you're using other people's ca- characters, what are you saying to Stephen Moffat? Because he's using someone else's character. Indeed. He didn't, he didn't invent the Doctor. Or what, Sherlock. Or Sherlock. What are you saying to the people who write, for example, Warhammer? Uh, official Warhammer books. Now you might go, oh, but it's Warhammer. <laughs> Whatever. If you have sat down and and written a hundred thousand words about space marines and space marine setting and their space marine adventures and been paid for it, well, well done you. You know that's much better than a lot of people do generally. And for a start, you've got this playpen to play in, but you've got this entire other world to you know. 
get through. You've still got to do the work. Sarah Corkwell, when she started writing Warhammer stuff, she had the problem where people were like, oh, but you didn't invent it at all. And it's like, dude, seriously, she pretty much invented 95% of all of the Silver Skull stuff. The only stuff that was handed to her was the broad setting mm. and the fact that Space Marines exist. Yeah, I mean, d- d- just because it's fanfic or derivative fiction or Italian, don't assume that it's easy to write. Um, anybody who knows me will know that I am I'm deeply, deeply embedded in the Miss Fisher's fandom, um, and we've got everything in fic. We, we've got you know, we've got the three hundred word drabbles, we've got the sixty thousand word epics, basically in novelettes. Um, we've got people who are writing the established characters and writing new cases, and that's not easy to do to write a murder mystery that works where which has a satisfying conclusion and where it makes sense as to who's done what to whom and it's not easy to do that you know just because that they're characters in a world that already exists what you're doing there is you're shortcutting you're not having to explain to your readership what the main character's house looks like or what their living room looks like or the the characteristic nature of of the male romantic lead people already know all that stuff you can get straight into there was a murder outside Franny's house and everybody everybody knows everybody who's who's into the tv show knows the setting it's one of those comparing it to music for a moment uh, john peel used to say that he used to get a lot of stuff submitted to him from indie bands that sounded like Joy Division. Mm. At no point are we accusing any of those bands that sound like Joy Division, and there are a lot of them, and some of them have been very successful. We're not accusing them of doing Joy Division fanfic. No, absolutely. And if you know, there's only a certain number of musical notes, and there's only a certain number of ways you can arrange them. And okay, that's a large number of ways you can arrange them, but it's still a finite number at the end of the day. It's like fiction. If you accept that the the vitally premise of there are only seven basic plots, everything within that is changing the wallpaper. You know. I mean, you could make the you could make the argument that you know all of horror is a combination of four or five other authors mixed up fan fiction. Yeah. But, you know, I, I you could say that Harry Potter is in fact um, J.L. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings fan fiction gone horrifically wrong. Shakespeare's Shakespeare's histories are fan fiction. He was mostly commissioned to write those, and he was commissioned to either write something that did down. Um, the, the the king or historical figure that the current monarch didn't like, or he was commissioned to write something that bigged up a historical monarch or figure that the current monarch liked, and and that's why there's all sorts of things that go on with Shakespeare and go on with his sort of um, portrayal of historic people that you know have been taken as as verbatim, and now people are looking at it going, oh, actually he was a bit wrong on that, and actually we now have historical evidence that this is what happened. But you know, history is written by the victors, um, and Shakespeare to an extent was being used as propaganda. Oh yeah, you should never read fiction and assume that it's fact. That's mm. you know that's a basic thing. But we are being disingenuous here in the sense that we are creating fan fiction with. Of a to- of a sort, all fiction is derivative of other fiction. Mm. This is that with fan fiction, it's obvious. And the two things, the two things that mark it out as different from everything else is the creators aren't being paid, mm. or they don't have an established audience who have bought into a set of canon. Um, that's it, basically. The creators aren't being paid, and that the franchise and it's, it's, is it's organised in such a way that it's obvious that it's derivative and it's fanfic but you know the two main sites for this are fanfiction.net and an archive of our own known as ao3 um and everything is categorized as to which fandom it falls into you shouldn't be paying for fanfiction on the other hand on the other hand it's a fantastic training ground it is fantastic yeah joanna Joanna harris who wrote shackled who wrote the gospel gospel of loki who is i i think we can pretty much argue she is you know a very prominent 
literature author. Mm-hmm. She's she's got a gong, all the rest of it. You know, she is definitely part of. You know, she's been a Booker Prize judge of memory mm-hmm. serves. She's written fan fiction, and she's turned around and said, "I have written fan fiction. You can find it on. I think it might be fanfiction.net or you'll have to look for it." And do you know what? I'm not going to. I know where it is. I'm not going to tell you what it is or who it is. I'm going to let you find it because on the way of finding it, you'll pick up. The thing is, if you like fiction and you like reading, you shouldn't shut off any one source mm. and if if you're into representation as we're calling it fanfic is the place to go you know um the, that's because of a need that's because of a lack yes of because yeah um there's there's a, a tumblr post going around at the moment that's like i honestly can't read proper books anymore because it's all just straight white people with decent jobs making out where is you know my robot and android falling in love on a space station two millennia away things you know where where is is my queer bisexual polyamorous i would argue people of color person, you know that they need to read more broadly well which they yeah, are okay. doing but but I think they've got a point that it, the you know the perception of what's available in, in mainstream fiction and uh, is so far removed from what's available in fan fiction. You know, is that a problem with the gatekeepers though? Is that a thing that if I'm say I'm a commissioning editor, yeah, a, a hat that I have worn in the past, and I do. I, by, by the way, listener, I'm a commissioning editor for Starburst magazine. If you have a comic strip of two pages and you want to get it into the pages of Starburst magazine, you should get in touch. Anyway, sorry, plug over. Um, the thing with commissioning editors is that you're always looking at sales figures, sales figures, and audience. And the safe play every single time is to appeal to the majority, and the majority is straight and white and boring. Mm. St- actually, straight, white, boring, and uh, I'm probably going to get some flat for this. Stupid. <laughs> uh, even even there's, there's this weird idea that if you read lots of books, you're somehow smarter than the, the herd. <clears throat> you're not. Uh, you just like a different. You just like working harder for your entertainment, and that's commendable, and that's a good thing. And yeah, okay, you're more likely to become smarter if you read bro- broadly and wide. But just reading books doesn't make you smart. Reading well makes you smart, smarter. You know, it gives you. But then, out. then you're down to the to the thing that slightly annoys me. Of all oh, these are hundred books you must read before you die, and a lot of them are not good. And that's me tempering my words. That's a different conversation. That is a different conversation. Anyway, back to the fanfic. Hundred pieces of fanfic, you must. Oh, oh, that'd be interesting. We should we should do that as a project. We should do that as a project. We might invite people to submit whatever. You can find us on Twitter. You know what? We could we could do that when we do our relaunch because um, I'm looking. It's the 29th of November. We've been doing this two years now. We have. Do you know what? At some point, we need to stop. I say stop. I mean, we need to restart. Shall we tell them? Shall we tell the listeners? Should we? Should we? Should we have a little little adverty jingly thing and then come back and talk about that?
Uh, so yeah, fanfic, we love it. Get on fanfiction.net, uh, get on uh, AO3, find, you know, your favourite TV, book, film, uh, real person, fiction, video, blogger, thing, sports team, One Direction. One Direction's remarkably popular. Um, I, could, I could give you the numbers. Uh, 43,800 43, fanfictions about One Direction on AO3. You don't surprise me at all. No, no. Uh, also, good grief, Les Miserables, uh, the, the, the musical, has 14,000. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of that is about one or two very specific characters who have a terrible time in... The, in the, it's going to be Fix It Fick, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be Fix It Fick. Um, which, the, is, which we like, Fix It Fick. Fix It Fick is the, the people who wrote this got it very badly wrong and all the characters are very badly done to and you quite like them, so we're going to make their life better. There's a, the, there is a certain sort of teenager and um, I'm kind of using a, a very broad brush but there's a very certain amount of teenager slash young person who obsesses over Lemis because of the things that were done wrong to their particular favourite mm. character. But let's, let's again let's not fall into the trap of oh all fanfic is being written by teenage girls in their bedrooms. It is not. Uh, people writing fic are from all ages of the spectrum probably from 12 up to 60s or 70s. Um, some of them are even book a prize judges. Some of them are even book a prize judges. Um, there's there's rumours within any popular TV fandom that some of the fanfic is always written by some of the people who actually write for the show um, who really wanted to write a certain episode or a certain scene or a certain story arc and were, were denied and so written fanfic about it. Uh, there's a popular theory very often that some of the castle stuff is written by the castle show writers. Actually, that's a wi- it is the wild lab, isn't it? You can yeah. you can sit there and you can go. I'm working on elementary and I want to do this, and then you send out some fan fiction, get some feedback, see how people respond to that. Uh, Supernatural, the TV show, has gone as far to actually call episodes of their show fan fiction. 111,000 stories on fanfiction.net for Supernatural. That's because they love, absolutely adore their fans, up to the point, as I say, they've done meta narrative stories. Mm. Uh, Supernatural's quite meta narrative. Anyway, we should move on and talk about our show. Yes. Sorry, just one note. I've used the word meta-narrative. If you disagree with my use of the word meta-narrative, get in touch, because I am looking for a fight over that. Anyway, there's a very specific meaning, and then there's actually what it means. So, but that's a different concept. Anyway, let's talk about us. Oh, oh we should. Um, it's very easy to get me to talk about myself. So, um, shall we go with the bad news first? Um, okay. The bad news is that the bookworm is ending. <gasps> the bookworm is... is, is Falling into a dark place, covering itself in bookish shit silk, slowly, surely forming itself a bookish uh, chrysalis. Bookish chrysalis. You see, I can... It's ima- good, good for the words today, love. Good for the words. It's good for the words. It's like I speak with my voice and all the rest of it. I speak with my voice? What? <laughs> my voice is my passport. Anywho. So this, this little bookworm has crawled into a dark place. It's formed a chrysalis. And it's slowly but surely eating itself and turning itself <laughs> into a beautiful butterfly made of words. Are they brave and new? They are brave new words. So there is a column in Star Wars magazine which you should buy because it's awesome called Brave New Words. And who's that written by? It's written by some joker called Ed Fortune. Ugh. So in a kind of an alignment with branding and all the rest of it. <laughs> <Brand> alignment. <laughs> We are going to relaunch the show. We're also going to use that as an excuse to kind of, you know, th- this show has had some technical issues. Oh, yeah. We're had... going to play with the format a little bit, aren't we? 
So we're, we're going to essentially improve the reliability of your, you being able to get your hands on the show. We're going to improve the show in general. Um, we are going... Hopefully. Hopefully. We're going to reduce the number of reviews, I'm afraid. You might notice that there's been a bit of a well, change with this show. We're going we're gonna to change the reviews on. We're going to go more in-depth on stuff, I think. We're going to spend more time getting to know a book rather yeah, than... Yeah, because the problem at the moment is we very often uh, are running out of time to be able to talk about stuff just as it's getting interesting. And we're doing somewhere between 100 to 120 odd books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Depending depending on exactly the, what we're doing on that particular show. So we're doing, you know, we're doing an awful lot of year. And the, 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 it's fair to say that the individuals on the team are all at the moment going through a bit of a change of personal circumstances and our time availability is becoming a bit different. It's also a tiny team. It is. It is. Um, so we are, if you, there are specific things that you want us to do or you want us to change, get in touch. Tell us what you like. Um, we are happy. Tell with us what you think we could do better. We're happy with technical feedback as well. Do you want, do you want to hear more music? Do you want to hear less music? Do you, do you want to hear more readings? Uh, do you want to, do you want more people on the show? Do you want less people on the show? Do you just want to have producer Al talk? Do you just want to have an in for talk? Um, do you want me to shut up every once in a while? That sort of thing. Tell us what you would like to hear. We have our own thoughts and we are currently working for the new year on changing the show to Brave New Words. So, and we know this is a bit of an unusual, you know, because we've been nominated for awards and mm. stuff as, as the bookworm and we've won a couple of things and, you know, getting a reputation. And it seems unusual for us to suddenly change, but we are going for such a radical rethink of the show that we feel it would be unfair to, to not tell you that we were changing and to not change the name. It'll still be the same old voices and you might even have some new ones. Um, and that frantic signalling from the producer tells me that we're heading towards the end of the show, so I'll be back shortly. Goodbye from me. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune, produced by A. L. Johnson.